You think about that, that saying, what's in a name? And when we think about what's in a name, names convey reputation and remind us about, you know, what someone's character is like or the, the different things they've been involved in. We all think of, you think of names of people in your family, people that you know and love, that automatically brings to mind uh, feelings, memories, right? Associations, again, reputation. For celebrities, you know, it's true, the same, the same principle holds true. It's just we think of them as they've been made popular. So you think of like LeBron James, you think of a whining, crying, you know, NBA player or something like that. You know, you, you think of uh, Jeff Bezos. I don't know if you think of Jeff Bezos as constantly working in an Amazon uh, warehouse. He hasn't worked in a warehouse in a long time. Uh, that guy. Uh, you might think of Oprah Winfrey, right? And certain things come to mind about Oprah or, uh, you know, Bill Gates or whoever, you know, some of these famous people. And you think of certain things associated with their names. Now, here's the deal. As Christians, right, we have to recognize that our names carry with them a reputation. So in our community, in our families, people will think of us and they'll think of certain things. And it's important, I think, that we ask, you know what, what do people think of when they think of me? Not in a sense of being obsessed with pleasing people or changing a reputation, but just asking the question, am I bearing faithful witness for Jesus? Are the things that come to mind when people think of my name, are they associated with our great God and Savior? Or is that an afterthought or maybe not even a thought? The fact is, as Christians, we not only are called to build a reputation for Jesus— but we actually are not just doing it for our name's sake. We're also doing it for his name's sake. In fact, we could argue we're primarily doing it for his name's sake. Because the deal is not just that as people think of our name, that they would think of something specific and godly and good, right? And something that represents the gospel. But the idea is that when people interact with us, they would think of Jesus's name. And what, what does our living out of the gospel convey to them about Christ? This idea of, of living for the sake of the name, it's a calling in every aspect of our daily decision-making. So we want to ask the question, as we just get into Third John this morning, how am I doing living for the sake of the name? How am I doing living for the sake of Jesus? Where is my decision-making honoring Christ, and where may it be falling short? And as we unpack 3 John, I think we're going to see several ways specifically that we are called to live for the sake of the name. So if you have your Bibles there, we're going to focus in on verse 1 in 3 John. And in verse 1, this is what we read. The elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. The elder, we're supposed to know who that is, and the elder also wrote 2 John, and we also think it's the same person that wrote 1 John, which is the Apostle John from the New Testament. So we have the Apostle John writing here with his status as apostle and elder, right, to the church at large, specifically, though, to this guy Gaius. And there are several Gaiuses mentioned in the New Testament. We don't know which one it is. So Gaius was a super common name. It was the John of the first century uh, Roman Empire. So we just, okay, Gaius somewhere, right? Probably John's writing from Ephesus, Possibly this church is in the area of Ephesus or somewhere in uh, what we call modern-day Turkey. But one way or another, he's writing to this guy, Gaius. But notice how he says, whom I love in the truth. And we'll notice that phrase truth, in the truth or for the truth, is going to be significant as we go through this short letter. Because everything that John has to say relates to the living out of the truth. And so he says, Gaius, man, he says, I love you in the truth. In the context of the gospel, I have this, this love for you. 
He goes on to greet him in verse 2. Dear friend, I pray that you are prospering in every way and are in good health, just as your whole life is going well. Probably there, John is focusing on not just his physical well-being, but his spiritual well-being as well. And it's just a general, you know, statement of, hey, man, I hope you're doing well physically, and I hope you're doing well spiritually. So that's just kind of a standard greeting, but it certainly includes his concern for spiritual growth. But watch verse 3. He says, For I was very glad when fellow believers came and testified to your fidelity, what? To the truth. How you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this, to hear that my children are walking in truth. What John is talking about here is, wherever John was, okay, let's say he's in Ephesus, these, these Christians came and visited him. And they were Christians who had met and known Gaius and experienced the church in Gaius's town. And so they came to John and they said, John, you know that guy Gaius, right? From, uh, from West Milford, right? You know him, right? Yeah. So we actually hung out there and worshiped with them one week. It was really awesome. Like what a great experience we had. And Gaius is living for Jesus. Like he's living out this gospel message and you would be so excited to hear all these things. And so they conveyed to John, right? Christians traveling from one place to another. They conveyed to John this testimony about Gaius's transformed life. Namely, and note the wording here, it's important in verses three and four, how he was living in fidelity to the truth. So his faithfulness to the truth of the gospel was impacting his decision-making. And then he just says shorthand, walking in truth. So walking in truth means just that. Walking is a, a different way of talking about all our daily things that we're about. So all the places we're going, the stuff we're saying, the things we're doing. He says, Gaius is walking, living his life in light of the truth that Jesus, the eternal second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, the Son of Man, died for our sins and rose from the dead. And so he's living in light of that truth, and that's impacted how he, how he acts in the marketplace and how he deals with his family and how he relates to other people in the church and how he relates to other unbelievers in the neighborhood, all of that, right? So he says, man, he's walking in the truth. And John says, you know what? I got that message, and I have no greater joy than to hear any time than one of my children, meaning one of those who has come to faith under his ministry, right, is walking in the truth. He goes on, though, in verse 5 to then really kind of dial in on what is important and he wants to emphasize with Gaius. He says, Dear friend, you are acting faithfully in whatever you do for the brothers and sisters, especially when they are strangers. They have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God since they set out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from pagans. Therefore, we ought to support such people so that we can be co-workers with the truth. So if you just pause there at verse 8, John kind of, you know, gives us a sneak peek behind the curtain, so to speak, as to how uh, things were happening there in the early days of the advancement of the gospel in the church. He says in verse 5, whatever you do for these other Christians, this is a good thing. Like when you're, when, you're, when you're providing for them and ministering to them and praying for them and all of that, this is all good, especially when they are strangers. So in theory, what was happening was this. Um, again, Gaius is in uh, the, the, the ancient um, Asia you know, minor town of, of West Milford. And uh, these believers would come in and he wouldn't know them. They would come in and they would be like, we're followers of Jesus. Hey, are there any followers of Jesus in this town? And they're like, yeah, actually they are. And they meet over there. And so then they were connected with Gaius. So then he met them. And what he did was, well, he loved them. And these individuals 
experienced that love in the valuing that Gaius gave them as individuals, showed hospitality, prayed for them, cared for them, you know, gave them a place to stay. And in the, in the first century, it wasn't like you had a Holiday Inn Express in every town. So to find friendly lodging, they would need to stay with Christians and they welcomed them, obviously, and then sent them along on their way, right? So in all this, these folks testified that Gaius had done well by treating them like brothers and sisters, even though he didn't even know them. It's interesting. He goes on to say, uh, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. So apparently, like these folks that had already made it to John, there were more coming through. And John says to Gaius, do the same thing. Like, treat them well and send them on their way. How? In a manner worthy of God. Like, recognizing that Christians, right, on mission, have and should have priority in our lives. That there's this priority to them. So you don't just send them off, like send them off with ample provision and with prayerful support, right? And all the and understanding that they are loved and cared for. So there's, there's emotional component here and a tangible component financially, all that. It says send them off in a manner worthy of God. And then it's interesting in verse 7, he says why? He says why? Because they set out for the sake of the name. And there's our key phrase this morning. These people, whoever they were, they had been transformed by the gospel and they were on a part of the mission, which means they were going somewhere to support some. Maybe they're going to visit another ministry. Maybe they were going to, to, to try to evangelize and plant a church somewhere. We don't know. We have no idea what they were doing, but they were doing something for the sake of the name, meaning the primary purpose of their journey, whatever it was, was to advance Jesus's kingdom cause. And so John says, Gaius, You've already done this, but man, keep doing it because this is what matters most. The, like the, the mission here, it, over, it, over, uh, it has an overarching emphasis in our lives as Christians that we're always aware of, you know what? No matter what we're doing, where we are, we are on the mission. The mission to make him mature disciples of Jesus, to advance Jesus's kingdom. And so he says, since they set out for the sake of the name, and by the way, as a corollary of that, that they're on mission for Christ, they don't accept anything from pagans. What is that all about? Well, here's the deal. The fact was, they didn't want to be beholden to anyone who didn't value Jesus supremely. So you know how it is. There's no such thing as a free lunch. If you didn't know there's no such thing as a free lunch, you need to know that. There is no such thing. That is actually a truth. There is no such thing as a free lunch. What does that mean? That means anytime you're in relationship with someone, and especially as there's been time invested and finances invested, there's a give and take, right? And it's in every culture, it's there. It's there in our culture. Sometimes it's a little bit understated, but nonetheless, it's still there. And here's the deal. These folks were on mission for Jesus. They didn't want to accept money from people who didn't value Jesus because they didn't want to owe them anything. They wanted to be able to freely proclaim this message and do this work, whatever it was in whatever capacity. They wanted to be able to do that without being hindered by the red tape of official relationship to unbelievers or just unofficial cultural obligation, right? So the fact is, in presenting the gospel message, sometimes there's a, a, a difficulty in presenting that truth because it can be divisive. When you say, hey, I've got a message for you, everybody in this town is a sinner, Right? Now you've put yourself in a little bit of an awkward spot with everyone. Now I've got good news. There's a savior, right? There's good news there. But, you know, there's a, there's a social dynamic that was involved. And he says, these folks, you know, you did well to send off the other crew well taken care of, and you need to send these folks off well taken care of. Why? Because they're doing it for the sake of the name, and they don't need to be financially obligated to unbelievers. And that's their commitment. 
Finally, he, John just explicitly says it. And the first person plural in verse 8 lets us know that this is not just about Gaius. This is for all of us in the church. He says, therefore, we, collective we, ought to support such people so that we can be co-workers with the truth. We're back to the truth again, right? John says, listen, we're all in this together. And this is why I love 3 John, because it just kind of lets you see, hey, you know what? No matter which part of the mission you're on and which, which role you're playing, we can clearly see here there was a stable community of believers in, in Gaius' town, and they're welcoming people in and then sending them out, right? So there's these people that are welcoming them in and sending them out, and there's people that are coming and going. And whichever group you're in, right, we together are called to be co-workers with the truth. What does that mean? That means we recognize we are all collectively on the mission together, and crucially, that our efforts are a function of the truth of the gospel, that we do this because God's word has transformed our lives, and that message needs to go forward. It needs to spread to others. And so, yes, we work together with them. In this case, sending people out is, is the challenge and the calling. He uses the word support. We ought to support such people. And, and that's really, you know, what we're talking about. We're talking about what are the, what are the different ways we can do that. The first thing we learned this morning uh, from Third John overall is that as believers, we value the mission for the sake of the name. We, we're all on this same journey together as believers. And so we must value the mission for the sake of the name. The gospel, the truth here in, in John's uh, shorthand, right? It changes our priorities, and so we think differently about people, about especially believers and those that are, that are p- coming through and going on to, to do something specific for the advancement of the cause of the gospel. And by the way, there's such a variety of things that people can be involved in in advancing the cause of the gospel. I just love getting those updates. Dave Flynn is hilarious. Dave, I love you, brother. Man, you're so excited for that grandbaby. That was so awesome. Uh, Dave and Liz, what do they do? Well, they run these training programs to help uh, churches in Latin America equip people to go out on the mission. Their part of the mission is training and equipping other people to go out on the mission in a particular part of the world. It's so, I mean, it's just awesome what they're doing. It's just one little piece. But then we got uh, the, the other update. And uh, as we think about, oh, help me with their names. I just lost it. Yeah, the Pickens working uh, in Colombia. So in this case, what are the Pickens doing? They're doing the hard work of Bible translation which is studying Greek and Hebrew, learning the language of the Chami and Taro people and making that tra- translation work and editing and translation checking. And it is a long process, painstaking. You have to live with those people, know their culture, right? Get to know their language, teach them to read their own language, get all that trans- wait, translation work back tested. All that requires computers nowadays, computers and printing and all these things, communication, travel, all of that all that effort. It's a part of the mission, right? It's a different subset. And there are other folks that we support doing other things, specifically church planning, pastoral training, just general missions of going to community and and blessing that community with doing a good deed in the name of Jesus to facilitate the spreading of the gospel. I mean, there's so many different ways this happens, but no matter what, we collectively, right, we are on mission for the sake of the name. It's for Jesus's name's sake that these people were coming and going. And John says to Gaius, don't miss it, man. You've done right in valuing those people and keep doing it. Don't take your eye off the ball. 
keep supporting these kinds of people. What did that mean for Gaius? It meant housing them, no doubt. It meant uh, taking them out to eat and relating with them, spending time getting to know what's going on with them, praying for them, worshiping with them, no doubt financially providing for them as they then went off, right? That's kind of the short version of probably what was involved with Gaius. John says, we're all in it. We're all in it. We, we all got to value the mission for the sake of the name. And we can ask the first question maybe is, well, do we value the mission at all? Have we been transformed by the truth? I love how John just calls it the truth because it's like, you, you know what I'm talking about. You know, that's like apostolic shorthand. Like, I don't have to go into the whole thing again, do I? Right? Like, we know we've, we've treasured this message of Jesus and his mission to rescue sinners and how it transforms everything about our lives. That's the truth, right? And so this, this content of teaching, this proclamation about Jesus, right, that we can write down and summarize and share, like, that truth, though, it transforms our perspective. And he says, it brings me joy whenever I hear of my children walking in the truth. And you might just ask, is that me? Am I walking in the truth? Am I valuing the mission above all else? And it, and it doesn't necessarily mean changing your circumstances. So you have a role in your family, you're in school, you're at work, right? Whatever position you have. And every day you're making decisions on what to do and how to do it and what to say and how to say it and all of that. And there's a question, wait a minute. Do I understand that every day I'm called to walk in light of the truth that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead? And he has rescued me. Because that has implications now for maybe what I choose to do or what I choose to say or how I do what I'm doing or how I say what I'm going to say, right? All of that, like, okay, am I walking in the truth? I think that's the first question we can ask. Are we walking in the truth? Do our lives show that genuine faith-driven transformation? Where it's like, we have believed the truth and man, I am different now. I value things differently now. As Jesse read from 1 Peter, it's like there's this recognition that we, are, we must be distinct from the world. We no longer are into certain things that we were into. We no longer speak in certain ways that we used to speak. We are holy because he is holy, right? That's our calling. Additionally, we can see clearly here, especially in verses 6 through 8, this calling to support the mission and I like that word support. We'll just run with that. So we support other Christians for the sake of the name. So it's the same, same deal, right? Here, we're, here we are, followers of Jesus, but we have an opportunity as followers of Jesus to invest in right, others who are specifically doing certain things to advance the gospel. They may be strangers to us. Notice that was explicitly an issue here with Gaius. That, yeah, you might not even know these people. But John says, you welcomed them in. You did a good thing. Keep doing that, right? Send them off well-provisioned in a manner worthy of God. So what do we do? We support other Christians for the sake of the name. We could highlight some of those specifics we already mentioned. The first would be prayer. And you might ask, well, in our context, it's not very often that just some random stranger comes in and is like, hey, I'm on a mission, you know, can I get to know you guys? Usually there's a connection there, although sometimes we get random emails from people and all that, and we might build a relationship with them. But how would we, first of all, connect with them in prayer? How would you connect with them with prayer? Well, on one hand, we can pay attention when we're doing updates, right? So, and I should have told you that ahead of time. I blame myself. So maybe we'll watch the videos again. But, you know, sometimes just pay attention when there's updates and say, okay, this is different ways I can pray. We usually have once a month an update from a missionary in our bulletin article. 
So there's a specific, like, lengthy update from one of our missionaries saying this is what's going on. These are specific ways you can pray, okay? An additional way you can pray is just to build a relationship with some of those folks that maybe aren't from here. Some of them are, but most of them aren't. And they're on mission, and we're engaged with them in relationship. And so you can say, you know what? I want to build a relationship with them. I mean, it was interesting, even I think you know, Dave mentioned, just email him directly, and he can get you their updates. You can get it, like, straight from them, and you can uh, be praying for them and how the gospel is advancing. You can also just pray in light of general circumstances. And often we do that on Wednesday night prayer time where we recognize, you know what, there's a particular part of the world that's going through a really hard time right now. We might pray, for example, for India right now as they're kind of still really slugging it out with a really tough battle with coronavirus. There's an opportunity there for the gospel, but there's also a great challenge for the church. And so we can pray for Christians in India and those on mission in India to advance the cause of the gospel and for God to provide for them in that sense. So, you know, you can just kind of pray through current events. Um, I mean, there's a lot of different ways, right? But just to say, you know what? As a Christian, this is like not an optional part of the calling that I'm called to be on mission for the sake of the name. And I'm called to be supportive of other Christians who are making special sacrifices for the sake of the name. Okay, so prayer is one way. Secondly, relationship. There's an emphasis here with Gaius on welcoming these people in and supporting them. And that definitely included relational investment. So anytime, right, people, we spend time with people, there's an expenditure of energy, right, and, uh, and, and just of uh, kind of emotion, right, where we get to know them, we share stories, we listen to stories, like all that just requires, it's just work, and it's good work, and for some of us, it's easier than others, okay, you know who you are, right, but the fact is, we're all called to this, and so we can't all relate to everyone, right, in that same level of depth, but man, we are called all to say, you know what, as I have opportunity, I need to be supportive of those serving in special ways to advance the cause of the gospel. I need to invest in them. It's worth it for me to have them over. It's worth it for me to spend time taking them out to eat and getting to know more of what's going on. It's worth it for me to build a relationship with them and to show genuine love and care and to have intentional conversation and not just constantly be thinking about something else, but to say, you know what, what is really going on in your ministry and what are ways that I can be supportive of that? We need that. Um, we have a team of folks here at our church, the missions team, and they do just that. They intentionally say, we are going to work hard at building relationships with, with, with our missionaries. You might think, Pastor Ryan, I would love to do that. We would love to have you on that team and, and have you help to do that. But it's not limited to that team, obviously. So you're going to have an opportunity to invest in the gospel beyond just the formal service like on the missions team or something like that. A third way we can support other Christians for the sake of the name would, of course, be financially. And that was a part of the the conversation here between John and Gaius that, you know, he says the whole church needs to know this. We support them and send them out (laughs) well-provisioned, like in a manner worthy of God. I read in that well-provisioned for the sake of the gospel. So how do we do that? Well, obviously as a church, we dedicate a big chunk of our budget every year to supporting a certain group of missionaries, right? Those that are on mission in particular places doing particular things. A couple of those we've talked about already this morning. Uh, But in addition to that, so your regular giving to the church, part of that is prioritized for the advancement of the gospel worldwide. So stay good on your regular giving. But in addition to that, there's no reason why you can't, above and beyond, go ahead and support those missionaries additionally, individually, or support other folks on mission individually. Uh, You know, Lindsay and I have folks that we have relationships with for decades now that we support personally, and they're not necessarily connected to Green Pond, but they're connected to the body of Christ. And so we personally support them. So it's like something that we have chosen to do as a family. 
In other circumstances, you might hear about a one-time need that a missionary has. Could be one of ours or someone else. And you could say, you know what? I can bless this person and their advancement of the gospel. I can send them out in a manner worthy of God by helping to meet maybe a one-time need that I've heard of. I mean, there are all kinds of ways you can do this, okay? We're going to talk more about personal involvement with them in a minute. But the fact is, at the bare minimum, prayer, relationship, and financial support are the, the essentials. You know, this is the, the bare essentials for supporting other Christians for the sake of the name. And here's the big deal this morning. We're all called to this. We're all called to this in one way or another. So you might just ask, wow, how can I get better in that? How can I grow in praying for missionaries? How can I grow in building relationships with those who are serving to advance the cause of the gospel? How can I grow in my financial commitment to the advancement of the gospel? The truth is, this, what he just described, what John just described with Gaius, this is not easy. Watch verse 9. Watch what happens. He says, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have first place among them, does not receive our authority. Uh-oh, we got a problem. We got this guy, Diotrephes. You know Diotrephes, right? Uh, he loves to have first place among them. This guy was power hungry. Watch verse 10 as John explains a little bit more. He says, This is why, if I come, I will remind him of the works he is doing, namely, slandering us with malicious words. And he's not satisfied with that. He also not only refuses to welcome fellow believers, but even stops those who want to do so and expels them from the church. Now, just wait right there. This guy, Diotrephes, he loves to be the chairman of all the things, right? He wants to be the boss, And so here, in his passion for that, he rejected the authority of the Apostle John, which is like, whoa, like to us, it's like a big deal. But to him, he was like, yeah, big deal. You know, you're Diotrephes, forget John, right? He's like, I'm the one calling the shots here. And how was he calling the shots? Well, he was calling the shots in that, you know what? I don't like all these other people coming in. You know, all these people, you know, these people from Ephesus rolling in, and then we got to take care of them, and we got to, you know, take, take them, give, provide food for them while they're here, and then, of course, they're not paying for their lodging, so there's all that, and then they expect a financial gift to be sent out. He's like, no, 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 no way. He says, the money from our church stays with our church. That's how this is going to be, our community first, right? And no doubt, there were people that thought, thought you know, that makes pretty good sense. And so John says, he is actually slandering us, the apostles. He's slandering us. He's saying, that apostle John, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Don't listen to him. And then he refused to welcome those fellow believers. And then there were others in the church, Gaius, right? Who's like, "Uh, that doesn't seem right. Like, I feel like, you know, the apostles are telling us we should welcome these people. Like, we should do that. And Diotrephes is like, you know what, Gaius? You're out too. And he was kicking people out who had this this bigger vision of what God was doing in the church at large, right? And so Diotrephes, in a power power move for himself, he wanted to control that little church, and he wanted it all to be about just them. And this is the deal. With Diotrephes, what do we see? We see self-centeredness, right? And a limit of vision to just his local church. Brothers and sisters, we can never settle for that. We can never settle for allowing self-centeredness to hinder our vision of the greater work of God in our part of the world and in the world. We just have to recognize that it will always be a challenge. In this case, uh, we show hospitality 
for the sake of the name. And that word hospitality, it's the best we can do because of the welcoming and sending out. But understand that that's shorthand for a lot more than just letting people stay, okay? It's, it's, it's shorthand for a lot more than just sharing a meal with someone. We show hospitality for the sake of the name, meaning we embrace the bigger picture, right, and the importance of the mission at large as a part of our ministry focus. So what we must never do in light of these two verses in 3 John is accept or even advance a green pond only mentality. We just can't do it. There's too much at stake, right? And when we do that, what have we done? We've shifted the focus right to ourselves and off of the name of our Savior. We've taken the focus off of Jesus and we put it on ourselves. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I love Green Palm Bible Chapel. This is a great church. I'd go here if I didn't even work here, honestly. Like, that's the truth. But here's here's the deal. Like, the fact of the matter is, God is doing so much beyond Green Palm Bible Chapel. And we are a better church if we know that and value it. Now, thankfully, we have a history of valuing that, which is good, but just because we had a history of it doesn't mean we'll keep on with it. So there's a, there's a, there's a caution here. We, we must show hospitality, meaning welcome and embrace the work of God beyond our walls, right? We must do that for the sake of the name. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson said it this way. This is, uh, I think, a great way to say it. He said, if Christ is not ashamed to indwell them, whoever they are, right? If Christ is not ashamed to indwell them, I will not be so to embrace them. If Christ is not ashamed to see his word advance in a particular uh, people group, ethnic group, socioeconomic class, nation, geopolitical group, whatever. He's like, if Christ is honored right, and willing to, to advance his cause with those people, who am I to say no to them? I'm not going to say no to them. I'm going op- to open my arms to them and welcome them in and embrace them for the sake of the name What's the primary barrier to this? It is self-centeredness. Because it's going to cost you to show hospitality like this in general, but specifically as individuals, it's going to cost us. It's going to cost you time and energy. So here's what you got to think. You got to think, okay, it's going to cost me time and energy. What would I rather be doing? I'd rather be, well, for some of us, right? We struggle. I'd rather be watching something. I'd rather be going somewhere I want to go. I'd rather be doing this, doing that, right? All these other things I could be doing with my time and energy. But, but for the Christian, many days we say, you know what? I'm going to invest some extra time and energy here in these folks who are advancing the cause of the gospel because we're all one team. It's also going to cost you money. And the fact is, with money, the question is, being self-centered with money, the question is, I'd rather have whatever, I'd rather spend my money on what I want to spend it on. I literally had someone say this to me, uh, someone who's a citizen of this nation. said, American money should go to the American church. And they weren't joking. It wasn't, they were 100% serious. And I just, that's 100% wrong. There's no way. Because number one, it's not American money. It's God's money. And he has blessed us with it. I mean, Memorial Day, we've been blessed with freedoms and resources and a prospering economy. You know, hearing David Lynn talk about, uh, David Liz talk about the, the economy in Peru, the things they're challenging, they're facing. I'm thinking, here we are with a, a blessed situation financially. Why has that happened right now? God has done that so that we will use those resources for the advancement of his kingdom. Not only provide for ourselves, of course, but provide for ourselves and then take that next step and say, okay, now we've met our needs, let's meet their needs. 
I know, here are these folks. They're coming through, and they're on their way to so-and-so for the sake of the name. You know what? We're going to send them well-provisioned, right? We're going to do that. Why? Because, because the mission, right? Because we value the mission for the sake of the name. Now, the danger is to be like diatrophies. Maybe not that extreme of the power-hungry person trying to control the church, but really it's just in selfishness, just not caring and not investing. And so there's a constant danger there in selfishness. But John goes on to point us to a positive example. Watch verse 11. He says, Dear friend, okay, dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, namely diatrophies, that self-centeredness, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Now he's just kind of clarifying here. Just so we're all on the same page, diatrophies, evil, bad, okay? Gaius, good. Gaius, and Demetrius is the next guy. Demetrius, good. And this, this person who claims to know Christ and doesn't value the greater mission of the church is evil. And he says, probably they don't even know God. They're probably not even a genuine follower of Jesus. That's, that's the line he draws in the sand there. He says, okay, that's not going to work. We want to do good. We want to imitate what is good. Notice how he says it in verse 12. He says, everyone speaks well of Demetrius, even the truth itself. Guess what? We're back to the truth again, right? He says, everyone speaks well of Demetrius, even the truth, the gospel, you know, bears witness about him. Look at, look at his example. And we also speak well of him, John says, and you know that our testimony is true. Who is Demetrius? We don't know. We don't know. But man, I like him. <laughs> I like him. Maybe Demetrius was the one who delivered the letter. That's kind of my like operating, you know, theory that, that maybe Demetrius is the one who brought the letter. Or maybe John knew that Demetrius was going to be coming through. And therefore, they were going to need to invest time and prayer, and support and finances in him. But he just says, let me just tell you, the truth testifies Demetrius is the real deal. So follow his example. Imitate what is good. Be, be supportive of that, right? That, that engagement with the mission. It's interesting. The truth itself testifies about Demetrius and John's own testimony testifies. You know, there's certainly a, a, a need to vet those that we would support in the ministry. There's, we don't just, you know, accept strangers for strangers. We get all kinds of weird emails uh, every week at the church about that. But here's the reality. We want to strategically invest in those who are we, trustworthy, who the truth validates. They're the real deal. They're preaching the true gospel, and there's evidence that they're, they're legit. So we want to get behind them, and we want to be a part of that. And then it's interesting in verse 13, he says, I have many things to write to you, but I don't want to write to you with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. He's like, I just don't, we just, a lot of this is just, it has to be done through relationship, right? Personally, face to face. I'm not going to make a mass joke. I was going to make a mass joke. I'm not going to make the mass joke, right? I hope to see you soon. And we will talk face to face. And then verse 15, peace to you. The friends send you greetings. Greet the friends by name. So he offers them that standard greeting, peace to you. But then he notices, or he uh, mentions about the, the friends. Who are the friends? These are other Christians that they knew that he knew. And so there's this connection. So he says, the friends send you greetings. The ones that are with John, maybe in Ephesus. And then, by the way, there are other friends there, Gaius, with you. Greet them by name as well. What does all this show us? It shows us that there's a lot more going on here. And I think, thirdly here, we learn in Third John that we are called to imitate good for the sake of the name, right? We're called to imitate good for the sake of the name, which means follow good examples like Demetrius. 
This is all a function, once again, of the truth. And so in a a faith-driven commitment to the truth of the gospel, we then follow the example of those who have gone before us. There's a physical presence focus here on doing good. Even just with John saying, I write to you more, but honestly, we need to do this face-to-face, right? That there's a physical component in that. And finally, there's a recognition with the friends that we are a unified whole as the church. Believers scattered throughout different communities, even throughout time, they're the capital C church, right? People that God has called and who have repented of their sins and put their faith in Jesus. And so, yes, we are friends with them, meaning we are united in purpose because we are a part of this one body of Christ throughout time. Where does that leave us? Well, here's the reality. If you're going to imitate what is good, there's two sides of the coin in 3 John. The first side of the coin is obviously imitating the good in Gaius, which is to be welcoming of other believers who are on mission, to pray for them, to build relationships with them, and to send them on well-provisioned, right? So that's one component of it. We've already kind of covered those aspects. The second component, though, might be to imitate what is good in guys like Demetrius and others by doing what? By going for the sake of the name. By actually, when you have opportunity and time to say, I'm going to serve the greater purpose of advancing the cause of the gospel. So that means it might mean visiting others who are on mission to help them accomplish what's on mission. Uh, my brother-in-law, Chris, he's a, he's a computer nerd, and he makes great money being a computer nerd, okay? And, uh, and I don't hold it against him. Don't get, don't get that wrong. Uh, but he had the opportunity once to go to France uh, not on sightseeing, but to go to France to visit with two particular missionaries that their church supports. And what was his job? To fix their computers. And some of you are going, praise the Lord. We need that, you know, like I need that, that, that gift. But there was an opportunity where he had a practical gift. And it's like, hey, this can be leveraged for the sake of the advancement of the gospel, right, in France. So, hey, let's go do it. And so he was able to take the time and do it. Not everybody can do that. But some of us can do that, can't we? Some of us have particular giftings that can be of use to the greater advancement of the cause of the kingdom. Don't settle for writing a check. Don't settle for writing an email. Maybe God is calling you to go and do the work face to face. You don't have to change everything about your life. It could just mean I dedicate some of my vacation time to that, okay? But imitating what is good, following others' examples, it might mean changing the circumstances of your life. Sometimes, just hear me out here, sometimes God calls particular people to give up their vocation and to take on a new vocation that is exclusively oriented towards advancing the gospel. Sometimes people decide, you know what? Bible translation is so important. I'm going to go to school to learn the linguistics on how to do Bible translation so that I can be prepared to go and live in a different place in a difficult context and help get the Bible translated into a language that somebody's never had it in before. And that takes years of dedication, education, right, fundraising, all of that to get there and to do the work and to get it done. Somebody decided to do that sitting at a church somewhere. And 10 years later, they were on the field. I can tell you about my friends, uh, you know, Dave and Stacy. they do it in Africa. And I'm just telling you, it's a wild ride with them to walk with them through. Dave used to do the soundboard in the chapel at Master's College when we were doing chapel band. And he decided one, one day, he decided, I'm going to go do Bible translation. I wonder, is there someone here that God might stir to that level of investment in the kingdom? 
Anytime we talk about living for the sake of the name, we recognize there's all these different components, right? They're all important. They're all, they're actually, they're all crucial to the advancement of the gospel. But for some of us, we need to make that decision to make a larger sacrifice. To say, you know what? God has put a burden in my heart for these people in this place in the world or to use this skill set to advance the cause of the gospel in this part of the world, and I need to go. And when someone says, right, I need to go, we, not, we need to not say, oh, but we need you here, right? Parents, I'm looking at you, right? I want you to stay here. I don't want my grandkids to be born in a different country, right? That kind of stuff. We don't say that. Why? Because it's diatrophies thinking. It's me first thinking. When someone says, I think I'm called to go and do this for the sake of the kingdom somewhere else, you know what we need to say? How can we help make it happen? How can we be a part? How can we pray with you for this? How can we support you in education or getting the missions organization or whatever you need for this? How can we financially get behind you to support this? How can we be involved in the advancement of the gospel for the sake of the name? Because not everybody can go, and we know that, but you know what? Some of us can go, and some of us need to go. So you might just ask the question this morning, is God calling you to that kind of involvement? God's calling all of us to involvement, but the question is, to what level, right? To what level of time can you invest in the actual spreading of the gospel? In Psalm 90, verse 10, John Piper makes a big deal. You know, that, that verse, Psalm 90, verse 10, says, you know, you live 70 years, maybe 80 if you're strong, okay? That's the deal. Um, but basically, that's what you got. And Piper says in this quote about Psalm 90, verse 10, he said, so straighten your back, open your eyes, brace your shoulders, and cry out, I will not waste it. I don't know how many years I got, but I am not going to waste them. And whatever my vocation is, whatever my calling is on a daily basis, I am going to invest in the advancement of the gospel. I'm not going to pretend it doesn't matter. I'm not going to entertain myself to death, right? And, and waste the opportunities that I have to invest my time, my energy, and my financial resources in the advancement of the gospel. I am not going to waste it. I'm going to make it, make it count. I could tell you stories, right? I could tell you I could tell you about David and Stacy. I could tell you about another couple we know, David and Heather. I could tell you about Eric and Heather. I could tell you about um, all these folks that we support as a church and the places they've gone in the Middle East. We've got uh, missionaries serving in, in uh, Africa. We've got missionaries serving in, in places that are so delicate we can't really talk about it. I could tell you about places, uh, some of our missionaries serve in dangerous places like Orlando, uh, which is really, you know, it's, there's a lot there. Why do they serve in Orlando? Because that's where the headquarters is, and they're doing essential work. All right, Sam and Maureen are doing essential work for what? For the translation of the Bible across the world. And they do recruiting and they help with tech issues. And they help orient new people that are coming on board to serve. So they got to go to Orlando to do that. So yeah, we support them. Or we support Doug in Charlotte who, who helps lead SIM. We, we support, you know, it's, it, it, it's all, there's all these different spots, right? I could, tell you, I could tell you about Jim Elliott, a famous missionary that we know well who gave his life in bringing the gospel to the Aka people group there in the Ecuadorian Amazon. You know about Jim Elliot, though? Elizabeth Elliot, his wife, had shared some of his journal entries after his death for the benefit of the church at large. You know, there was a day Jim Elliot decided that he was going to go on mission. He was going to do it vocationally. You know what happened? She, she, she quotes his journal. He said, um, well, basically, he, he was convinced by reading about another, another missionary, another Demetrius. 
He says, I see the value of Christian biography as I have been reading David Brainerd's diary much today. David Brainerd was a missionary who was uh, kind of an understudy of Jonathan Edwards, okay? And he was a missionary where? In the unknown wilderness of New Jersey? <laughs> David Brainerd preached the gospel to American Indians in New Jersey. Yeah, Native Americans. Uh, so he said, I've been reading Brainerd's diary much today. It stirs me up much to pray and wonder at my nonchalance while I have not power from God. He's like, I'm feeling convicted that I'm just too casual about the mission. I'm just too nonchalant about it. He said, I've considered Hebrews 13, 7 just now regarding the remembrance of certain ones, right? Who, well, who spread the word of God. He said, consider the outcome of their lives and imitate their faith. Do what is good. What is good? That we would live and value the mission for the sake of the name. I don't know what God's called you to in it, but I know he's called all of us to it. And so let's do this. Let's say that we commit to be people who are going to be on mission all the time. It could be going somewhere far away. It could just be living differently at work you know, this week. But either way, we're going to do it for the sake of the name. And we're called to do it together. Would you pray with me? And we'll just ask God to help us. Lord, again, we pause this morning and we think about Third John and just the dynamics here of your work uh, in the Apostle John and in Gaius. And Lord, the, the negative example we see in Diotrephes and Lord, even just reading between the lines all the coming and going of the establishment of the church and the advancement of your gospel. And Lord, we just, we recognize that we're still in that process today of the coming and going. And so we ask that you would help us in whatever circumstance we are, to value your kingdom and your mission, to do it for the sake of your name, for your glory. Lord, we thank you for providing for us. We thank you that the gospel has ample witness in our culture. And we pray that as we have opportunity, we would invest our time and energy and money to see your word advance. Lord, help us, help us to be sensitive to selfishness when we're thinking me first. Help us, Lord, to be, as a church community, as a whole, to be oriented towards the, the larger work of the gospel in our region and in the world. Lord, we thank you for that heritage that's been handed down to us, and we pray that you would help us to continue to imitate what is good. Lord, I pray that you would give us clarity for every person here. Lord, I pray that we would have clarity on what it looks like for us to be on mission. And Lord, for those that may need to go, we pray that you would equip us and provide for us, give us the passion, and the practical wisdom that we need to go to advance the cause of the gospel. Lord, in all of this, we know it's not about us getting glory, but it's about you showing your greatness so that when the name of Jesus is mentioned, people think of this cause, the advancement of your word. Lord, help us to do just that now. We pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your name, for your glory. Amen.